Bioscanners report. Life science bioscanners are picking up heartbeats from over there. Can't be human, though. They're too faint and average. Only four beats per minute. Cut, cut. Uh, DeForest, hey, you do a great job. But right there, I think you were emphasizing uh, the wrong word. There was probably no punctuation in that sentence. So it should have gone something like this. They can't be human. Too faint. An average only four beats per minute. And what you did is you ran faint and average together like they were adjectives describing the same thing. But it isn't that the heartbeats are average. It's that they average four beats per minute. That's why even if we're doing just voiceover, always read that script ahead of time. Try to figure out what the meaning is. So we're going to do it again, and you're going to say, hey, they can't be human because they're too faint and average only four beats per minute. So it's not the best line. I, I, I grant you that. <clears throat> but also, uh, we like to get it as right as we can. And if we emphasize the wrong thing, we can ruin the whole show. Hello, friends. My name is Hardy White, and tonight's sermon is entitled, Do Sometimes We Emphasize the Wrong Things? No, why would I sermonize to you? I'm not a, a preacher or a sermon writer and expresser. I'm not even an actor playing a preacher. And not and I'm not even on the radio. Well, you are on the radio. Okay. Who knows, right? All I know is that I am not going to tell you my opinion on how to do things when I don't know. Not only have I not mastered life, I don't even know what it is. I'm massively disoriented. And so it's just a place to, I don't know, a place to feel uh, giddy and grieving is the only thing I can describe it. Oh, it's electrifying and confusing. And it hits the same as it did as a kid, really. Because that's what they say. It hits. It feels. It has the impact uh, like it did as a child. And that if you let it, and that is that it's just, it's all wonder and pain. And there's nothing wrong with that, I guess. Well, what about pleasure? Isn't I don't know. Pleasure is wonder and pain and all mixed up. It's all mixed up together. But how is it mixed up? Is it mixed up like uh, weenies and beanie weenies? I mean, the chopped up kind. Is it mixed up like raisins and raisins bran? Or is it mixed up like foamy milk in your latte or other or your hot white or whatever they call it? I don't even know. <clears throat> But uh, it is mixed up, for sure. There's a life as an admixture. Is that correct? Why do they put that on there? Flammable, inflammable, mixture, admixture. I know they probably mean a different thing. Hey, I haven't mastered the language either. Can you imagine being someone who goes on the radio and speaks to other human beings and they haven't mastered the language at all and they don't even know what they're saying? And yet... They have access to an audience. A lot of people like we do here in this uh, house of worship that we're in that I'm speaking to you in on Thanksgiving. And so you're probably asking, what do I have to Thanksgive about? To give thanks about or to Thanksgive is another way of saying it. We don't say that so much anymore. But that's the old Anglo-Saxon way of saying it. You know, there's a kind of, there's giving, then there's thanksgiving, there's thanking, and there's give-thanking. All sorts of subtle variations on what it is. What is thanks? I was giving thanks a lot yesterday because my, my mother's been sick. It was in the hospital, and she was getting a little better. And a fella got on the elevator. And I said, where, where to, old-timer? I didn't say old-timer. And, uh... It was one of those situations where he was old enough to be my father, and I really thought he thought we were the same age. But that's okay, because he asked me where I where I served in Korea. I was like, I was, you know, wasn't even born. Doesn't mean that this is my second life. Maybe I didn't even think of that. Maybe he recognized me. You're my buddy, aren't you, Bernowski? No, I don't think so. I'm Hardy White. But he said, oh, he looked at me and he said. I just got back visiting my friend, and he looks much better now. I feel thanks. He looked this morning, I saw him, and he looked awful. 
and now he looks better. And so I feel grateful. And I said, it is a relief, isn't it? And then he started blessing. He said, bless you, Thanksgiving, bless you. And we blessed back and forth. You know me, if, I, if you start blessing, I'll outbow you. I will bow lower. Um, so we were in, we did the blessing limbo. And then we, we, we parted. And I thought about giving thanks because <clears throat> I was giving thanks, but it was because I was exposed to the contrast of grief and pain. And then when the grief and pain uh, were released a little, I was like, holy cow, man, I'm so thankful. Boy, it could always be worse. And it is when you live in a state of uh, thankfulness or grace, a little like realizing, oh, God, it could be worse. Now, that cannot be maintained. Sometimes you like to take things for granted. And I know if I was an all-powerful, all-compassionate creator, I'd sort of want you to enjoy yourself a little bit. Stop thinking about the bad stuff, I'd say. Maybe, I, I don't know what I'd do. But I don't think I'd say, you know, oh, you, you could, it could be worse for you, so you remember that. Um, but who knows? But it seems to me, I guess if there's a God, there's a different reaction you should have. You, if there is a God, you should be thankful for things. If there isn't, you should realize that, uh, that uh, feeling thankful is a complicated it's wonderful, but it is a complicated feeling that uh, means that you recognize there's additional pain, possibly. And uh, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about that. But I just think when you're a kid and you take it for granted, that's a joyous, beautiful little thing. And, and it should be accessible to us so that our souls don't uh, turn to uh, tarry gook uh, from exposure to to grief and sadness and pain and suffering and so it'd be wonderful just to skip in the garden every once in a while say i love this place, and have little complaints the grass isn't soft enough on my toes i'd love that isn't that lovely so you don't want to and you say oh i'd be so thankful for that no you wouldn't you'd just be enjoying it that'd be terrible if you had to stop in the middle of something really great and you know, joyous, and say, all right, all of us, everybody, uh, down on their knees and say, I don't deserve this. And that'd be, uh, that interrupt a lot of things, for me at least, performances and things. It's like, y'all, get up, come on, you're supposed to be dancing, you're making me nervous. Stop being grateful. Oh, no, that's, that's your, that is your Thanksgiving message already? Stop being grateful? No, I'm, I'm, Telling you I am grateful because I just had some sadness. So I'm in a beautiful state of a holy cow. Maybe turkey is okay if you hadn't had anything to eat. That's the whole, and I, really a homecoming holiday. And I am seeing some family I haven't seen for a while. So I like that. And, uh, you know, and having an addition of one of us being sick and everything is sort of like uh, pretty typical to the human experience. And I love being typical. I love fitting in. I don't want to stand out always. Uh, you know, it's, I watched Willy Wonka again, the original one with Gene Wilder. And I would dress like that if I was alone in my factory. And that's the thing. You're walking around like that. That's fine. But if you step out with the chocolate hat, then what? People start to, you know, look at you, say, why does that person want attention? But they don't know you. So they make you into a character and you become a puppet and you walk around a living Punch and Judy doll. And they think they know you, but they don't. They just admire or despise your chocolate hat. How many of us are wearing a hat made of some confection? I know that there's, say, oh, I have an all-sorts yarmulke on. It's licorice or, you know, something like that, you might say. I'm wearing a fez or I'm wearing a turban made of fruit leather. I don't know, a fruit leather turban. It's hard to be respectful. If you bowed in a culture in which people wore fruit leather turbans, it'd be hard not to take a little bite or at least a lick. They come back up, you go, I'm not going to lie to you, I licked your hat. Ray Willy Wonka, that's not his name, Ray Willy. If he was Southern, it'd be, yeah, Ray, it's called Ray Willy. Ray Willy's one word. 
But I mean, uh, R.E. Really, really Wonka. Ray Willy, Willy Wonka. He has a, the movie has, and I don't know how great the color is on my TV. So I'm going to put that out there. But everything else seemed the right color. All the white people were white, white as heck. But I noticed that his hat and the river were supposed to be chocolate, I imagine. They were the color of really low-quality chocolate. Chocolate is barely milk chocolate. He said, what did they put in it? And how was it a reddish tint? It looked like some nasty um, South Georgia river. Not nasty like polluted, but just clay and tannins. And it didn't look like didn't look like chocolate to me. Perhaps because I am a lover of what they call uh, dark chocolate or bitter bitter chocolate. And uh, this is true. I used to when I was a kid. We used to uh, dip cocoa powder, and you just take a chunk of it and put it between your cheek and gum. Cocoa powder has, you know, it's got some caffeine in it, and also there's other Or we'd snuff it. You know, back in the day, and I mean the day, what am I talking? 18th century, 19th century? <coughs> they used to use tobacco snuff, so they'd ground it up into a powder, and they'd snort tobacco. Isn't that horrifying? And then, and you get, believe me, it works. How do I know? Because in the 1980s, in malls across the United States, there were tobacco stores. One of the chains was called Tinderbox. And they sold an array of pipe tobacco cigars and, bizarrely enough, snuff. Now, a lot of people call dip tobacco snuff, like chew tobacco. So, this, like, basically... Two types of chewing tobacco. Leaf tobacco, which we call chaw. So there's chaw, and that's those leaf tobacco, like big red or something, and you put that in between your cheek and gum. And then there's something called they call snuff, which is um, not quite that. And you put that in your, uh, now become little round tins, and you put that in your cheek and gum. That one's the Widowmaker, man, and they don't even sell that anymore. And that came in a lot, of, and it was marketed to kids, too. So, the, like, little league players would be dipping. And they call it dip. So that, and uh, I used to do chaw. And then uh, they had in these little red things, and I guess they, I don't know, they imported them from, like, Victorian England or something. It was proper snuff. It was powder to snort. And I did that a couple times as a kid. Because you just, they sell it to you in the mall. Unbelievable. And you sn- and then you have this, you know, tobacco-y snot, and you sneeze and everything. And you can see them doing it in, the, <laughs> in powdered wigs and stuff like that. And we didn't, I didn't get the powdered wig part. That'd be beautiful. I would have done it. I would have, I would have uh, gone in, had the, had my makeup done, had my mole drawn on, put my powdered long wig on, and then done my snuff. And then I guess I don't know. Pick the vermin out of my privates. I don't know what they did back then. The hygiene was different. Everything was different. I'm more of a. I am a fan of painting, as you know, and it always makes things seem like they were nicer than they were. I'm sure all the painters, you know, are capturing just the best of sort of thing. Um, so I don't know if they've gone into that now in art. You know, there's proper documenting of the dismal experience of being human but back then not so much a little bit you know glorify some of the martyrdom and the violence would be um stylized or you know made out to be have some reason for it but now it's nice to know that it's recognized as a random cruelty in the universe oh my goodness what i need then Hardy is a warm fire with a friendly face who has a long white beard. And the person with the long white beard says, Hey, I've been cooking all afternoon. I've been making all sorts of food, but all you can do is you're staring at that beard and you're thinking, Is there, 
Is there white hairs in it, in the food? Did he wear a beard bag? Because if he was doing any kind of commercial cooking and you had one of those present-day David Letterman beards, you know what I'm saying? Santa, or one of those yellowy, lives-at-the-beach Santa beards. If you're doing the cooking, if it's over a certain length, I know that because I worked in food retail, they will say, hey, you got to bag it. Bag it or sag it, they say, because Bob Saget had no beard. That means to shave in the lingo. Why is that? What are you talking about? In Atlanta, when I lived in Atlanta, a lot of people in Tallahassee, they use Cockney rhyming slang. I don't know if you know that. And that's a big thing in the Deep South. So it must be left over. I never thought about that. I wonder if that's because of old British influence in the United States, because they used to all the ship captains would come over. A lot of pirates are from Western England in the country. And that's why they, they say cider like that. You know, I are a pirate. Arr. They say they're ours. But, you know, a lot of people in England, you know, don't pronounce the R. It's silent. So, for instance, if you're reading some transcription of a British person talking and you see E-R-M, they're not saying erm like we would say. That's what we say when we're thinking, hmm, erm, hmm. See, but they don't pronounce the R, so it's just um. That's how they transcribe. That's the transliteration. That's the word for it. Transliteration of um. So they put the R in there. Now, pirates say there are. R. Now, if pirates were from the, let's say, southeast England, they wouldn't say R. They would say, uh, But that doesn't sound very pirate. So thank goodness that we got the ones that, you know, that talk the way that we like. I've got my ciders. Your father. And I love the way people speak in all sorts of ways to make themselves understood. Uh, in all kinds of code. You can you turn accents off and on. I was speaking um, recently in England, and someone came up to me and said, hey, your accent's fake. I said, thank you. But they, they were, I was stylized. You know, sometimes you, I mean, there's, I have my real way of talking. I'm legitimately from a southern place. And then I have my Jerry Clower, I, you know, kind of, Oh, it's a preacher thing, perhaps. So they were saying, is that, is that the way you normally talk? And I said, hey, you need to step off. No, they were Americans. It was cool. But um, uh, a lot of the British people, I don't try to do any kind of voices in front of us. Like, I'm not going to get it right. And uh, I wouldn't know if they were faking. They could come up to me and go, hey, governor. And I would go, oh, hey, are you, are you Cockney? I wouldn't know if they were making it up or anything. I don't have that much of an ear. I'm a foolish person, and uh, I'm easy to fool. So if you're looking to fool somebody, if you want to practice, say, I'm thinking of getting into being a con man because I've seen a lot of these, you know, Ricky Jay, David Mamet things, and I'm thinking, hmm, I might like to pull some kind of big, complicated con. Because if you have a degree in something like, you know, oh, I've got a degree in accounting and psychology and everything, and you're thinking, whoa, what can I do with that? Have you seen The Sting? Something like that. So a lot of you want to do and then go, but hey, victims, a lot of people are very savvy this, you know, now. So it's hard to find people that are naive enough to fall for some kind of charade in which, you know, you set up a club called Charades. And people go there, and you and you trick them into thinking it's uh, a real establishment, and then you extort something or trick you know trick them into getting their credit card out. That doesn't seem very good. Set up a here's one here's my idea. You set up a whole club, okay, and then you put an ATM machine, but the ATM machine has one of those card things on it that that steals your number. Is that too much effort? Because I guess you could just stick one on a gas pump somewhere but it'd be nice to do the, the go to the bother of recreating the whole thing like my dinner with andre you know that's not the actual restaurant is it i think it's a set i think they made it up again i don't know that those are that's not real people eating and everything that's all acting they blur the line i don't blur the line i don't think 
You're not acting. <laughs> I'm not acting. I'm not acting. If I was acting, I wouldn't be <coughs> popping. I got, you know, I got the vid there a little while ago, and still, I'm still suffering. I'm not suffering at all. I'm still uh, have a residual cough. I love it because it makes me, it, it, it has a, in theater, the little <coughs> cough like that is like an indication that it's a memento mori. Like, oh, death's right around the door. That character is going to die. Why would they be coughing? Because you never think, oh, just the actor just had a chest cold. You think, well, the cough might be something. I was watching a student film one time, and more than once, the director aimed the camera at the clock. Just the clock, so that you saw the time. And when I do that, I'm a Twin Peaks season three psychotic. So when you do that, I go, ah, 343, like that, you know, you know, that must mean something. And I, and the whole, the short film went by, and at the end I said, hey, I was curious about something. And she looked at me like I was insane. And I said, what was the purpose of the shot on the clock? And she's like, it's his clock, or something like that, I don't know. But I thought it was interesting that the director was using language without it really meaning anything, you know, just a, a cinematic language. There's shots, and then I've seen movies where there's shots of stuff. And then maybe, like, you know, his, there's a bowl, which is kind of very uh, ozu. I'm not, a, I'm not opposed to it. You could say, oh, it's sort of a pillow shot. It's poetic. It's just, it's there to establish a sort of feeling or mood. It does not everything is a message. Not everything is a message. Not everything has a reason. Not everything has a point. Not everything is a story. And I'm telling you, the idea that, that things are stories is a lot worse idea than you think it is. It, it really, um, I, I guess it's the way we navigate the world, so I can't be 100% against it. Because it's, uh, it's, we use it for sort of predictive reasons and everything. We, it's not just for entertainment. It's a worldview. I understand that. I'm just saying, though, I think we take it too far. And that we, uh, it blinds us to experience because we instinctively know what sort of events fit into a story or can be retold and what sort of events are ineffable and not, you, that you cannot communicate. So when my, my mother was sick, as I mentioned, and she was, uh, I don't want to divulge too much uh, personal stuff and everything, but she had uh, temporarily, thank God, uh, aphasia, where she could not say words at all, any word. And uh, I was hard to know what she was thinking, and she certainly couldn't communicate it. So let's say everything I'm saying right now would come out. I would tear his fireplace and carrots and owl there to keep her lane So it's nightmarish. Night, night, the things that nightmares are made of. In fact, it does have a kind of a dream quality of running in sand. And uh, in addition to that, she was in physical pain, so she couldn't say what, what it was and everything like that. And so I had, I was forced to have a little meditation on communication and speech and, and thought even. And the way we uh, make sense of our world by naming things, naming experiences. And when they lack names, they seem to come from everywhere. So you've seen a baby. I've seen a baby. Have you ever seen a baby? How many of you have seen a baby? One. Hands up. Keep your hands up. How many have seen a baby? One, two, three, four. It seems like almost all of you. I don't know how many you here. It seems like almost all of you have seen a baby. When the baby comes into the world, a lot of its sensory experience is very strange to it. Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night and you're nauseous, you have a headache, and the first second you wake up, you go, wrong, something's wrong, but you can't pinpoint it yet. You just feel wrong, sick. And then you realize, oh, I'm going to puke or something like that, or oh, I've got a splitting headache. But it takes a second. It's just a global feeling of wrong. And the baby has that. 
Doesn't have any way of compartmentalizing any of the, of the feelings yet. Can't name them. Uh, can't identify them. Doesn't know hunger from pain. Want. General feeling of doesn't, is it I'm cold? That's when you try to guess. And the baby can't tell you. And it won't even look you in the eye, the little. No, it's very hard. And uh, I've experienced it again with not only my mother, my grandmother before that. So it isn't something I have not thought about or meditated on before. Uh, and my grandmother uh, went very slowly from uh, had lots of interesting brain things. So her uh, brain sort of was messing up in non-traditional ways. So I felt it was like living in Oliver Sacks book or something and um it made me interested in the subject because i became obsessed with identity and who you are and what your brain is and all that kind of thing and uh, for someone who speaks so many words like this and communicates um to start thinking about you know that and in relationship to something as subtle as you know, with the stories, with the way we tell ourselves stories and everything. But it, it is, uh, it is all the same thing, sort of. There's uh, no system for looking at the world without considering the consequences of what's going to happen, of your behavior, or not being predictive. It's almost impossible. And a lot of people say when they've been uh, liberated from, or they feel the near death or something, they start experiencing the world in this nothing to lose kind of way where all of a sudden it's pure experience. Or I guess a lot of people take drugs to get that. And the other day I was watching something. I was watching a little clip from Spalding Gray swimming to Cambodia. And what it was to me, it sounded like... Um, my dinner with Andre on cocaine, which I guess is kind of what it is. But the way he was conveying a story, an experience, and, and converting it into a story. But as he was telling this tale of uh, this invigorating, scary experience of swimming in uh, Asia somewhere and uh, uh, on this dangerous wave and almost drowning, he had one of those experiences, those kind of numinous experiences where the whole world sort of opens up and you disappear. It's kind of wonderful. And I wonder if, you know, we can do that without not almost drowning. That there's a way to get there without uh, stories. And so I'm opposed to that. But that doesn't mean I'm opposed to experience. Oh, I love to feel various things. I'm, right now I'm feeling the microphone, which is why you heard that a little bit. I don't usually do that. Something compelled me to touch it. I'm very touchy. As in that, you know, when you're around sick people, you want to touch them and everything. Unless it's a no-touch kind of situation like the leprechaun I used to work in. Why don't you want to touch people? Are you afraid of leprosy? No, a lot of times you'll knock off a body part or something. And you go, oh, whoops, I'm sorry. That was your finger, your nose, or everything. You know, don't rub my forehead. I know you need that. So, um, but there's all other things. People don't, you know, you don't want to touch them if you're sick or something. But sometimes there's, a, there's some forehead rubbing. Um, I had a, a relative that was dying, and we were all gathered around his bed, and somebody was uh, stroking his hand. This was maybe about an hour before he died, two hours or so. And uh, he said, stop, stop, stop it. <laughs> like that. And I, I believe those were his last words. Nobody in the family wants, they hate when I tell that story because that's, but I believe those were his last words. Um, cut it out. And I, lo I love it because it just, that feels like he was in the middle of something. That feels more like you just, you're living, even in that last moment, it's just life. As a, uh, as usual and that's kind of wonderful to me i don't mind that can you live your life in the eye of the storm can you still do it people fault you for doing it sometimes but you'll see everywhere people try to go about their business no matter how horrible things have become so 
and uh, oh, we make it horrible for one another. Ooh. Uh, you see the uh, capacity for human compassion. You wonder why, you know, why is that not more popular? That feels nice, you know. What's what's wrong? What's wrong with folk? Um, let's just decide. Can globally uh, decide to care for one another? It's a, I find it very. Does, here's the problem, and I felt it at the hospital, and I felt it with the grateful man in the elevator, and that was the Flannery O'Connor. It's a, a good man is hard to find kind of th- situation where some people need like a gun held to their head before they'll be a decent human being. And that is unnecessary. Let's not have that. And uh, I say to you, uh, fix your hearts. Uh, you know, um, we're, uh, uh, you know, I don't know if that, if you need to give thanks or not give thanks. And that is my only message today is that, hey, whichever one you do, do it in wonderful excess. Uh, but it'd be lovely if we could extend uh uh, the gratefulness that we feel when we're shown compassion or love and take and say, I'm going to, I'm going to turn that on somebody else. Cause a lot of times we turn the anger and frustration and bitterness that we experience on other people as if that's going to deflect it or make it feel better. But I'm telling you, if you can amplify an incoming emotion or an incoming feeling, then let's make it love. Oh, I don't know what you're eating today. And maybe you're not listening today because you're fuck. I mean, maybe, maybe you're still fixing the meal. You could be still fixing your Thanksgiving meal, but most people are done and have switched to football. Let's get this over early. And they'll eat like four or something. I know families that do that. And then a lot of European Thanksgiving families will eat very late, like 10 p.m. They don't have... Just hear me out. I don't know. You can do it whenever you want and have, uh, you know, food. Oh, it does unite us. Everyone needs to eat, even if it's through a tube. So that could be maybe somebody's Thanksgiving is going to be something through a, a, a tube. I know that for sure, actually, because... The person in the next room, their consultation with their surgeon was mighty loud. And so I heard every word of it. So I realized this this uh, fella in the other room, oh dear, he's about to, uh, you know, uh, get a feeding tube in his uh, belly for Thanksgiving. But he isn't dead. So that's my, maybe that's good. Oh, which one are you, dead or not dead? A lot of my listeners are, have, have passed on. And I don't know if they're still listening. I don't know exactly how. I told you I don't know how it works. Oh, I'm thankful for you. You don't know me. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I do. We're alive at the same time. We share this same earth. I bet we have very similar delusions, just as human beings. So I may not know you specifically, but we're a lot more knowable than we think we are, or there wouldn't be large, contrived, confident scams like i said we are knowable oh we are alike i don't want to be like you oh well i'm gonna sing you a little song that i believe louis prima sang in it's a jungle book and that is uh i want to be like you ooh, ooh. and it goes something that was sang by the orangutan or was it a baboon? No, they don't have baboons in India, where they also don't have orangutans. I don't think. Aren't orangutans from Borneo? Hang on just a minute. First of all, I don't think that uh, King Louis the Prima is even in the Rudyard Kipling book. I think that's a Hollywood thing that they added. And I love that they just grab a creature from... Also, like, I'm pretty sure that South Asian bears are kind of small. And Baloo seems like a big, like a grizzly bear from, you know, the Yukon. So, you're getting all these places wrong. I'm, I am and I'm not, first of all. Because what we're, we're proving and what Jungle Book proves is that you don't know how some animals get there. You know, maybe his family emigrated. That could be. 
They could have moved. Borneo is not that far from, uh, and that's where Rangatown. I'm pretty sure I'm getting this right. I know because it's a, it's a, in Australia, it's a pejorative for people with red hair. So a friend told me that. I asked. I don't know why I asked, but I did. It came up. Because I tell you, because I, oh, I love people all around the globe and my my affection for you and my gratitude for how wonderful uh, some of you are is overflowing. Oh, it flows over. Do we want our glass to flow over? Depends what's in it. Water would be fine. If there's a bowl under it, that's fine. If it's a bowl under it, it can be chocolate, like a chocolate fountain. It can be a fountain made of champagne. It can be a fountain made of lots of things if there's a bowl under it, collecting it and possibly recycling it. If your glass overflows onto your grandma's tablecloth, woe, woe is he who spills the Seder, uh, Mogan David, on this beautiful tablecloth. But all is forgiven. Hey, listen, I'm, uh, I'm going to let you hear a Thanksgiving show from a couple years ago. A little bit we did, and that's about a parade. I think you're going to like it. Welcome to the Gertrude Stein Department Store Thanksgiving Day Parade. I'm Hardy White, and I'm here with my good friend, Butchie Spinoza. Thank you for joining us. I love parades. What about you, Butchie? Indifferent. Ah, oh, come on. I'll do my job. Don't worry about me. We're up here in the broadcast booth on this chilly Thanksgiving day, and Lou Register is down on the parade ground right in the middle of all the sights and sounds and the tremendous crowd. Can you hear us, Lou? No, I cannot. You are very far away. That's why I'm glad we have this headphone set up so we can communicate. Parade's getting ready to start, isn't it? I believe it has already started. Or maybe it never ended from last year. But I see a bunch of giant balloons of cartoon characters I don't recognize. Well, I'm sure we have some old favorites from the funny papers like Henry. Also, Windsor McKay's Flip. What would a parade be without them? Well, what's our first band, Butch? I can hear them playing. Why, that's the University of Tomorrow's Marching Possibilities. And they are playing a medley. A med medley what? Medley. Oh, I thought you said metally, like something like heavy metally. No, of course I didn't say that. They're playing a medley of some lame movie scores or something. I don't know, man. Just to give you some insight from street level, the man in front of me sounds like he's hacking up a lung. Glad you shared that, Lou. We have our first float coming up now, consisting of over 10,000 used colored Kleenex, this float from the Friends of Big Heads is a tribute to Big Heads in art and culture. From Zardoz to Billy from Family Circus. Big outsized heads are a favorite with the crowd and this float has them all. Nothing's funnier than a character with a giant noggin. I love messed up proportions. Good stuff. Bushy, tell us about the next group coming up here. Some school or something doing music, I don't know, man. Kids all wearing uniforms, throwing junk around and playing music they just learned. Good stuff. Who doesn't like Thanksgiving? We all love Thanksgiving. Just a little history on Thanksgiving. I got super sick last year, but you guys said it wasn't the turkey because you ate it and were fine and I didn't eat any turkey. Oh, I remember that. You messed up our card game. Take a pill this year or something. The actual history of Thanksgiving is sort of iffy. Yeah, shall we repeat the culturally biased myths? No, let's not. The main point is thankfulness can be a wonderful thing if you direct it to other people. Know where your food comes from, you ingrates. This next float is a favorite. It's called the time machine, and it's a real time machine. I hope they don't switch it on and mess up the continuity of our commentary. This float is sponsored by a collaboration between the entertainment industry and a pantheon of interdimensional godlike creatures who wish to control the universe. The time machine is constructed from wave-like particles that have been assembled using pure thought and decorated with over 500,000 ribbons and flowers made entirely of precious metals. It's a heck of a lot better than our time machine. It is. Are we ready for the parade to start? Any moment, Lou. 
Let us know when the first float comes by and we'll start broadcasting. Will do. Next up are the Chimpy Mummers. 100 chimpanzees dressed as mummers and playing banjos. How Philly. This is totally my thing. I knew you'd like it. No, I mean it's literally my thing. I organized this. Those chimps are going to lose focus in a minute and all heck is going to break loose, but whatever. It's not Thanksgiving without destructive ape musicians. Since you asked, my favorite foods during the holidays is cranberries, or rather, combining the wonderful acidic cranberries with some fatty food to offset the richness. Love doing that. I take everything on my plate and mix it up into a big mess and then scrape it all into the garbage can and get another plate. Little ritual I do. Hey everybody, look, it's Elmo. Elmo Hope. The great jazz pianist and composer Elmo Hope is not with us anymore, but this great tribute is the next best thing. I also like those people who dress up like Bud Powell in March. The marching monks? No, they're the ones who dress up like Thelonious Monk. Why would the Bud Powell cosplayers be called the monks? I don't know. Look at this float, y'all. It's a tribute to world religions. I see the eight immortals and various voodoo loa. And there's Swami Vivekananda. And the medieval French rabbi Rashi. They literally have every religion. Oh, and there's Baha'u'llah. Very inclusive. Is that Rumi or Maimonides? Lou? I'm sorry, I should know that. I'm an idiot. You're gonna get us in trouble. Oh, look, it's people dressed in different type of potatoes. Funny stuff. Do you remember that time we tried to make a Thanksgiving meal? Not really. Let's flash back anyway. Mmm, what smells so good? Are you cooking a turkey? No, it's these roasting flesh air fresheners. That one's golden turkey. There's also glazed ham and savory beef. As my vegetarian grandfather would say, it smells like a veterinary crematorium in here. You guys aren't helping my appetite. What are you doing, Lou? I'm peeling potatoes. I'm making my famous peeled and cooked potatoes. Are you gonna make something for Thanksgiving dinner, Butchie? My first inclination is to say no, but I got this historic recipe I wanna try. Oh, what ingredients do you need? I'm headed to the store. Near as I can tell, I need bread, honey, rye, one pocket full, and 24 blackbirds, not crows. That's a common mistake, apparently. It's a dish they used to set before the king. I figured we needed something dainty. I don't like savory pies or eat meat. Could you just make a fruit pie? Well, there's a recipe in here for a pie, but it calls for whole plums. I'll just pick up a pumpkin pie at the store. What else do you guys want for dinner? Oh, get corn, I'll make cornucopia. I don't think that's, all right. I heard at the first Thanksgiving they actually had eel. Get some eels. Jellied, please. I was thinking more along the lines of uh, stuffing. Oh, you mean dressing. I could make the dressing because I have a special stuffing gown. Get cranberries. I love cranberries. The acidity helps cut the richness of certain foods, creating a nice balance. Get instant potatoes in case loose suck. Hey, my potatoes are good. I said in case. Also get two loaves of challah. Also, get one of those paper tablecloths with pictures of religious extremists on it. People always notice that pilgrims wear buckles on their hats. But did you know that they would also wear hat bands around their waists and also boots on their hands and men's Y-front underwear on their heads when they were feeling playful? I could care less about the food. The whole point is just to publicly acknowledge that we are lucky to have food, that the earth provides for our basic needs so we are obliged to be good stewards and that we are dependent on one another for survival and happiness. So we acknowledge this by expressing love and thanks. Oh, Butchie, that's beautiful. Oh, please. Well said, Butch. Stop with the flattery and just get my two dozen birds. I remember that so well. The pie didn't turn out that great, though. Well, it's tricky getting the birds to stay alive and sing after baking them. I guess the lesson is that it's the fellowship and love that counts. I would also like to point out that the cooked meat air freshener seasonal scents aren't too good this year. The turkey one is now called roast bird and smells more like chicken. I used to have a pillow that smelled like chicken bouillon. And here's our next float, the cast of Beckett's Endgame. It's Ham, Clove, and the whole gang here representing the Jackknife Experimental Theater's new production of Endgame, starring Hans Conried and Edward Everett Horton. Get, get me ready. ready. Go, Go and get, and get the, the sheet. sheet. 
Well, yes. I'll give you nothing more to eat. Then we'll die. I'll give you just enough to keep you from dying. I love the holiday favorites. Don't mean to interrupt, but a kid just poured a hot cocoa down my pants and I'm trying not to react. Good job, Lou. Who are those guys running around down there? Dirty lumberjacks? Those are the woodsmen from Twin Peaks The Return. Does something smell like burnt oil and electricity? Well, it's probably the occupants of the Black Lodge home for the holidays. These mysterious figures are running willy-nilly down our parade route in search of victims to feed the demonic forces of evil's appetite for pain and suffering. Watch out if they ask you for a light. I notice some of these floats have musicians on them and even pianos. Yeah? So why do they make the marching bands walk? Don't they know they can ride? Uh, I think the people walking break things up a bit. How is this guy walking on his hands the whole time? Oh, wait, wait, he's in a costume that makes it look like he's walking on his hands. So I guess my real question is, how is this person walking with a human head between their legs the whole time? What's this next group? Zombies? No, that's the Ono Street Budo Club. What would a Thanksgiving parade be without Budo dancers and their twisted, grotesque movements that convey the torment of corporeal existence? Hi, Butchie. Hey, mysterious angel. You look wistful. Ah, it's the holiday. I can't stop thinking about my family. You miss them? Of course. I feel alone in the world. But you have your friends. They love you. I know, but it's different. I miss my actual family, and maybe I miss being younger, too. I like knowing what I know now, but it makes me more jaded. I miss being naive, frankly. Things were simpler. Would you trade knowing the truth for being more content? Not at all. I want to know about the darkness and suffering and the plight of others. I want to know about the temporary nature of things and the great emptiness at the center of it all. Man, you're even bringing me down. Sorry. Oh, no, I'm kidding. I'm fine. But I understand. When I was a kid, we'd go over to my great-grandmother's house in Haddonfield. Aunt Alice and Uncle Victor Delaney would be there, and Uncle Bumps and my grandparents and my folks, and even some cousins from West Virginia with teeth missing. And it was nice. And I'd get candy and eat a lot, and I never had to think about anything. But we grow up, and the world opens up to us, and if we face it with bravery, we get the chance to do something about it to repair these things the best we can. I know, and I relish that. Your friends depend on you. I think I go overboard with the tough guy act, though. I don't know. You are tough. I am. I'm tough, but I feel stuff, too. Brave is being scared and doing it anyway. Right, Butchie. I have a question. Shoot. So, you're an angel. Are you like the ghost of a dead person, or some different being, or an alien, or what? Oh, that's a good question. I am a personification of a basic concept or ideal. Do you know what the term qualia is? Uh, forget it. I'm sure it's interesting. So you're not a specific dead person is really all I was looking for. Oh, oh no, that's a ghost. Oh, okay. To answer your question, Butchie, Adam Strange, I think. Oh, that makes sense. Speaking of superheroes, look who's coming. Up in the sky. Hey, fantastic. It's the Fat Fury, American Comics Group's Herbie Popnicker, the little fat nothing, a favorite of kids and grown-ups everywhere. You want I should bop you with my lollipop? I love Herbie. Herbie Popnecker is 60 feet long, 60 feet wide, 60 feet tall, and filled with 15,000 cubic feet of helium. He requires more than 70 handlers. Amazing. One year, the lollipop fell and really did bop some people, I think. It's cinnamon, right? Pretty sure it's cinnamon. The next float is the float from the parade sponsor, Gertrude Stein Department Store. And it is a giant wood Napoleon. Made of four different types of wood, the Stein Wood Napoleon is the largest wood Napoleon. Exact resemblance. To exact resemblance, the exact resemblance. As exact, as a resemblance, exactly as resembling. Exactly resembling. Exactly in resemblance, exactly a resemblance. Exactly and resemblance. 
Who is the next group, Butchie? It's my dad's friends from work. Can you tell us something about them? I'm pretty sure the one guy is Tony, and the big guy is, uh, oh, what's his name? Jackie, maybe? He used to be a cop. I think it's Jackie. They're good guys, I guess. Except for Red. He's very violent. I don't know why they stay friends with him. I would hide in the closet when the guy came over when I was a kid. Hey, I got a question. What is it, Lou? Some joker just pranked me with that expanding insulating foam. Is that stuff toxic or anything? And how hard is it to get out of hair? Oh, I'm sorry, Lou. I'm having a rough time down here. Also, any way to get me some hot coffee and one of those stools that folds up into a cane? Well, we'll see what we can do. You're lucky to be down there. It's sort of stuffy up here. And they misspelled my name on the custom ceramic mug holding my gourmet coffee. The next float is sponsored by Bong Sao, head shop and Wing Chun school. Where were you when I was college age? It's a theme they call all the stuff you thought was cool when you were 17. Hey, I had that Sir Lloyd Baltimore album. That dude's belt is so wide, I love it. That guy dressed as Clarence Williams III is my new hero. That is a cool float. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first year that Marvin Kaplan hasn't been in the parade, am I right? Yeah, for years the Grand Marshal was Arnold Stang. We are really losing all the greats. Ubi sunt, my friend. Happy Thanksgiving! Oh, don't get up. You look awesome in that comfy chair. And you look so sharp. Sorry I'm late. I had to remember it was Thanksgiving. Then I had to remember that we should have it together. Will you look at that light through that window? That is what they call the golden hour. Am I right? Makes everything look orange. I know you don't like oranges. I just meant it makes the world look on fire. So, did you watch TV today? I was going to, but I kept forgetting to watch since I was at work and all, actually. Hmm. Wonder if dinner's ready yet. Again, you look so sharp and distinguished in that chair. It looks like you're a nobleman or something, or some dignitary. Or at a really fancy barber shop. In fact, let me stand behind you and give that hair a comb, sir. I've learned a little how to do this by watching. A little off the top today. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just coming it out of your eyes. You're looking good. Oh. Well, I had to go by the regular store today, and I thought about your store. I used to love going in there. It was magical to me. I ran around like I owned it or something. Oh, I'm smelling something now. I hope it's food, because otherwise that makes me uneasy. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Hello. What service. Thank you. Oh, fantastic. Look at this. It's like we're at some kind of five-star hotel or something. Oh, they got lids on everything. I'm impressed. Thank you very much. Thank you. We're going to enjoy it. Well, here, look at this. They got some wonderful-looking dishes. And literally, the dishes look nice. Well, let me hold your hand and say something first, all right? Thank you so much to the Saints for letting Grandpa and I be together on this Thanksgiving Day meal. And bless us and keep us healthy and all. And acknowledge our acknowledgement of how precious everything is and how fleeting our time together. This blessing before us looks so appealing to us. And we are more than satisfied. Amen and amen. All right. I am so sure that you will like these fantastic looking potatoes, that I'm gonna get you a spoonful of them myself and insist that you have a taste here. There we go, what do you think? What do you think, are they as good as they look? I'm more of a smell keeper. My cup is the one with the picture of Ted Lange on it. We are back with our coverage of the Gertrude Stein Department Store's Thanksgiving Day Parade. You'll appreciate this next one, Butch. Buy my green candle, it's Ma and Pa Ubu on their way to invade Poland. Alfred Jerry's beloved Pear Ubu character has a pointy head and a toilet brush. 
and he's ready to wreak havoc on the world as he combines ignorance, arrogance, and sadism into a toxic mix. Last year's tribute to Ramon Roussel was lovely too. They had this machine powered by the wind that made mosaics out of teeth. Too many literary references in this parade. Well then, here's something you might like, Butch. It's cool cars driven by scary middle-aged dudes. Oh, they meet at the burger place near my house. These are some cool cars, but the dudes driving them seem unapproachable. That is the central conflict in philosophy. How so? Next up, it's the magic eye float. It just looks like a jumbled blur. I don't see anything. Uh, sort of cross your eyes and focus just past the float. Nothing. Oh, oh, wait, there it is. <laughs> it's a ship. I don't see anything. Oh, cool. Wait, it just looks all jumbly. How do they do that? Man, I don't see. Next up, it's a sports tribute. Here we have some stars of the U.S. Processed Meat Baseball League. We have players from the New Jersey Pork Rolls, the Philadelphia Scrapples, and the Cincinnati Gettas, among others. There's a town in Georgia that's spelled Vienna, but it's pronounced Vienna. Did you think of that? Did you think of sausages or something and it reminded you of that? Did I what now? I'm pretty sure I just got taken. I just bought a bottle of fake cologne. What happened, Lou? I, I think this is just an old bottle of Creed Viking filled with canoe. I, I totally got taken. I'm out 50 bucks. You should play some three-card money and win big. Should I? Would you cut it out? I, I have to be honest. I can't hardly see anything down here. Why am I on street level again? Uh, in case we need someone to smell something. It, it does smell odd down here. The next float is a tribute to salesmen. What would we do without those brave souls among us who don't mind pretending to be your friend in order to extract resources from you? It takes a lot for folks to surrender their hard-earned capital, but what better way than to convince them that you have their best interests in mind or even that you are their friend? The men and women of our national sales forces do this every day, keeping things running by frightening old people with imaginary problems and then offering disingenuous solutions designed to separate them from their money. Trust me, you need this. Join me as we salute our national sales force. Thank you for your customer service. I don't get what any of this has to do with Thanksgiving. Well, we come together on Thanksgiving to say thank you. And the parade is reminding us that there are different ways to express our ideas about the world we live in vis-a-vis walking down an empty street. You know, they call them floats because they used to literally float, but now that's illegal. I have a memory one year of there being a bunch of flying carpets. Yeah, see, you can't have that anymore because they don't allow magic. Oh, that's a shame. They're so afraid someone will be enchanted or something. I don't need a nanny, brother. I'm an interdimensional warrior. Well, not everyone is, Butch. True. Oh, hey, it's Pastor Munch from my service station. Chef Jive! I don't think he can hear you. Seeing him makes me feel a little more like giving thanks. I seem all tough, but really, I'm very thankful to have friends like you guys and be alive on this beautiful day, enjoying my community coming together to celebrate various things that I don't care for. Oh, that's very nice, Butchie. Whatever. I'm also thankful for you, my friends. Although I sure would like being up there in the warmth. We appreciate you too, Lou. That is nice and warm up there. How much longer is the parade? I have, I have no idea why. I was thinking about taking a little break. Oh, my friends, I'm so thankful. Thankful for you and thankful for uh, archives so that when I have sick relatives, uh, I can, uh, you know, I've got like uh, 20 minutes I can use. And just thankful for friends and, and family. And um, I really appreciate, sincerely, uh, sending out love on this holiday and wishing the world peace. You are listening to Miracle Nutrition on WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, 91.9 in Rockland County in New York City, New York, and online at WFMU.org worldwide. Oh, 
I'm thankful for you. You are my friend from the radio. Oh, it makes life better when we both can be together. And I know that this life won't go on much longer. But the symbol club is put for even. Look, look at it, look at it, look at it, uh, uh, look at it, look at it, up in the sky. Hey, who is it? It ain't Superman, it ain't Superfly, it's Supercell. <laughs> yeah, there are a bunch of people sitting around doing everything. I'm Dave the Spaz, and you're listening to Mahogany. I'm guest hosting this week. That was Rasan Roland Kirk, Freaks for the Festival, from the album The Case of the Three-Sided Dream in Audio Color, best three-sided record Atlantic ever put out. That's from 1973. Now, Bailey will return next week. He has an appointment with a Thanksgiving dinner, so I have an appointment with you. 
And we all have an appointment with Sun Ra. I think he's coming in for a landing now. Thank you. 